Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Howdy, everyone. Happy, uh, happy LSU week. Well, would have been happier, obviously, if not for the events of Central Michigan week, but we will get to those um, now as we kind of uh, address the elephant in the room. Uh, Eric Dungey probably improbable <laughs> as it were uh definitely not playing in my book um and i think everyone's kind of in agreement there which means zach mahoney will be getting snaps slash the start um for syracuse obviously uh, i know dan i was talking to you while i was kind of digging around and all i could find as far as uh walk on starting quarterbacks um in power conference play um we had this uh for Syracuse and then uh Baker Mayfield who uh who actually started his first game as a freshman walk-on at Texas Tech um and now obviously a scholarship player um at Oklahoma so from your perspective um a anything else to add on the Dungy uh injury the hit um and then b I guess what did you see from Zach Mahoney um in his limited action um against Central Michigan um, the Dungey hits pretty much as advertised. It was a super dirty hit. Um, I, I don't know if it was quite warranted people, uh, sending him all those really nasty tweets, which I, I know there were some people trying to say like that didn't ha- it, it happened. I, I went as soon as I saw the first thing, it, it was bad. Um, and I don't know. I, I don't know. It, it's, he, he targeted, it was a hundred percent by the rule. He was ejected as rightfully. So if he had been suspended for a few games, I would have been more than fine with it. Um, I'm almost just like kind of tired of the whole Mitch, whatever Stan is, I don't even know what his name is, Mitch, whatever from central Michigan. I uh, just want to move past to this point. Um, with LSU, unless there was some way where Dungy didn't, they like definitively didn't have a concussion, which I know is not the easiest thing to determine and was a hundred percent full dough. Like this is just, it's, it's a, the biggest it's the biggest game in terms of name opponent on the schedule, but it's maybe the least important game on the schedule, honestly. There is no reason to risk Eric Dungy's health if he had any chance of, of making his head injury worse. Um, same goes with anyone else. Like there was no there's no reason to dig out Irv Phillips this week when we have a, a bye coming up and, and a couple of big games in South Florida and UVA, which are swing games for us. Um, so it stinks. I mean, I'm heading up to the game on Friday morning. Um, I would have loved to see full uh, full bore Syracuse going in into LSU, but I think it's, and I think most people have accepted this too. Like the best thing for the team is unless Eric Dungy is a hundred percent with no risk to make any existing injuries worse. It's just not worth putting his health in line. Cause LSU is a mean giant fast SEC team. Not a, not a huge, uh, at least last year they weren't a huge pass rush team. They've done a little bit more of it this year. Um, but it's a team that will dominate Syracuse physically, uh, and you it's just not worth the risk for, for Dungy or any other really important player. Um, 
if there is any way that you're going to make something worse that already exists. Agreed. And you know what? And this isn't to be misconstrued as, you know, holding out players who are healthy. This is solely dedicated to keeping players who might not be 100% um, at a greater chance to contribute for the rest of the season. I know for me, um, as someone that's not going to be able to see this team live to later in the year, um, I'd love to see everybody get full bore. Um, you know, between Phillips, Dungey, um, Ishmael, who definitely seems like he'll play this weekend. Um, I'd love to see this offense kind of fully operational. You know what? And, and against LSU, it, it, it sucks in some ways because, like, if we wanted to fix the attendance issue, and we won't mention it again today, um, it, having Dungey and, and the full kind of, you know, complement of weapons out there was an easy way to get people in um, to watch a two, three, and O teams face off. But uh, without him, obviously, that's not going to be a draw. Um, and we're kind of going to be faced with a very. Uh, a very, I would assume, vanilla attack, um, at least based on what we saw in the second half. I think, Dan, though, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think we're going to see something much more resembling um, what happened in overtime um, in this one than we are, you know, what happened in, um, I'd say, not even the second quarter. It's really just the third and fourth that were just, just really, really bad, uninspired, terrible play calling. Uh, offense and I think what we saw in overtime while it could have gone terribly um was you know a, a return to the option principles that got us there um and then you know a very clutch pass to Kendall Moore um so I I hope we see more of that but w- with a pretty basic offense in play um at least based on what I'm understanding of Mahoney um and, and his playbook acumen I, I think we're going to be hard pressed to see a really, really competitive game into the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, Mahoney, in all likelihood, was not receiving first-string snaps until this week. Um, and even Austin Wilson probably wasn't receiving many until maybe last week when, when Hunt was out and Dungeon was his starter. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it seems like they want to be able to run the option and, and diversify the attack a little bit more. Austin Wilson just isn't that player. Um, he did make some nice throws last week, but um, I think Mahoney, from you know the four throws he made, looked, he completed all of them. He had some zip on the ball. Um, I wouldn't expect him to start slinging downfield like Dungy was, like Dungy was a bit uh, the last couple weeks. Um, I think we're going to see, you know, high percentage plays. Probably going to try to run, you know, get as many plays as we can in, uh, which has been an issue for this team. Although some of it's coming from, you know, explosive touchdowns. But um, I think it was it, I can't remember if it was Schaefer. I think it was Les Miles actually said the best way to. Uh, protect against facing Leonard Fournette is to keep him off the field. I think that'll probably be the offense that we run. We're going to um, run some option, probably have the quarterback scramble around a decent amount and just see if we can string some long drives together and, and keep it close. And generally I don't love that strategy, but where Syracuse is coming from with a uh, fifth string quarterback in, um, I, I get it. And uh it, you know, it's probably not going to be the most fun game for Syracuse fans, but hopefully everyone who's there uh, can at least enjoy getting to see a possible Heisman winner um, play because he is really something special. And I know we're not, you know, I hate when people go to watch the other team. Uh, it's kind of a, a thing of mine, um, and I, maybe I'm a little bit of a hypocrite for choosing this team to go up. But um, I do think it's not totally unfair to say, hey, let's – at least get to admire this incredible running back. And 
you know, obviously we'll still be rooting for our team to pull an upset, although it, it does seem like a very long shot, even when uh, maybe LSU isn't the worst matchup nightmare. It's just physically they're just so, so good. Yeah, I, I mean, that obviously was going to be the case regardless, but without the skilled players and the horses to hang, um, I, I'm i definitely doubtful. I know uh, I was actually talking to the guys over at um, And the Valley Shook, SB Nation's um, LSU blog, um, on their podcast earlier uh, this evening, and, you know, I, I told them, and this is kind of the first time I was really, like, digging through it, you know, like, if we can turn this thing in, into a bit of a, a rock fight and, and a real kind of low-scoring, like, ugly 17-14 type game, the way we did with Clemson last year, you know, maybe, just maybe, we're looking at a, at a single score or a 10-point loss, um, but... Otherwise, yeah, there's just too much talent with LSU um, unless we get, you know, a repeat of, I think, the first few games of turnover luck. Um, it is going to be extremely difficult to hang with the team. It's just this much, I think, faster, um, especially in the secondary. I think just physically, just uh, just bigger, obviously, and we talked about this. Um, you know, CMU did a pretty nice job pushing us around in the trenches, Um and that's with MAC talent against SEC talent. I I am not too you know hopeful that that, that this team's going to be able to turn it around at least for a full game um, against you know that type of talent and the uh, the much improved pass rush of LSU that you uh, alluded to earlier. Yeah, the the line play is a really good point. Um, kind of the underrated part of that LSU Auburn game that we've all watched a thousand highlights from because it was maybe the most gifable game I've seen in a long time. Um, Leonard Fournette was running all over Auburn, but he wasn't getting touched until he was like eight or nine yards downfield on those runs. Uh, LSU's offensive line is, is, is really nasty, led by Vidal Alexander, who's one of the best linemen in the country. Um, and Syracuse's secondary is not very good and not a very good tackling group. It's not like we have Shamarco Thomas out there. Um, so... I honestly think the, and this does it, it's like all of my football ideals uh, in terms of, you know, playing to not lose. But I honestly think the best chance Syracuse has in this game is to run blitz the hell out of LSU. Just bet on Brandon Harris not having his breakout game, which I think could very well happen. He is a, a four-star talent who hasn't really been given a real fair shake to, you know, let loose as a thrower. Um, he's only thrown like 31 passes this year total, I think. But I think you just need to gamble, say, let's go all out to stop this running game and hope the passing game doesn't, you know, become what LSU fans hope it can be because it's not proven uh, and just take your chances there. And even then, I mean, there's a good chance that you could rush nine and, and Fournette will still drag you guys for six yards. So um, we'll see how it goes. Uh, I, I think that's probably the way Schaefer will play it because that's kind of how he has been in these kind of matchups. Um, and usually I'm annoyed by the play not to lose thing, but this week I, I really won't be able to blame him for it. Yeah, I, I have to agree there. And, you know, it's interesting. You bring up, uh, you know, the passing game for LSU, and it's the thing that I think every Syracuse fan has kind of mentioned to LSU fans is that, yeah, you know, like you guys just pass on us. Um, and it's interesting. Uh, the LSU guys actually think that, you know, if Fournette has to go over about 21 to 22 carries, that this thing is definitely going to be closer than they're comfortable with. Um, and they actually see the passing game as, uh, as pretty efficient. And, and you look at the numbers, and it actually ends up it has been. Um, 
no, it hasn't been asked to do much, but I guess similar to how Dungey's played for Syracuse, um, it's done plenty um, with the limited opportunities it's had. I mean, you're, you're seeing maybe an interception or two here and there, but largely avoiding mistakes, uh, getting the ball where it needs to be and being pretty accurate. Um, and that's against, um, you know, only two games, obviously, one of them against a really suspect Auburn defense. But um, right now, you know, based on the SU secondary, it is kind of difficult to see um, how further efficiency, uh, you know, isn't accomplished uh, when, when we're kind of doing the whole ten-yard cushion thing, even in our, even with our backs to the end zone. Yeah, I mean, Harris, Brandon Harris, really hasn't been asked to do much, like you said. He has money at the numbers now. Um, shout out to uh, Bill Connolly for building all these amazing advanced stat profiles and uh on football study hall it's it's a treasure trove honestly um harris he only has 145 yards through the two games uh, i think it was roughly around 70 per game um like it wasn't like one game was was a lot more than the other he's thrown for one total touchdown which was on a play action rollout which i expect to see a lot of we've talked about that a bit internally he actually hasn't thrown a pick yet um, and he's completing 67.7% of his passes. So, yeah, they're, they're only getting 4.4 yards in attempts, which is not good, but they're not throwing the ball much at all, uh, and they're averaging, well, Fournette is averaging um, 8.2 yards a carry, and Harris himself, who's a, a very nice runner, has two touchdowns, averaging just under 10 yards a carry. Um, as a group, uh, Darius uh, Buis, the other... Uh, I'm actually not sure how to pronounce his last name, G-U-I-C. Um, he's a freshman. He's done a couple, handful of carries. He's averaging almost 10. So they just really haven't needed to throw, which is scary considering they've played Auburn and Mississippi State, which are not, which are probably two of the worst SEC defenses, but they're still full of talent and speed. Um, so it doesn't make me feel too great about things, but... Um, I'm also interested to see how Les Miles handles it because you could say, you know, I, I generally think Les is one to kind of lean on his strengths and he'll just try to run the ball and win the game like he would any other game. But I think other coaches might see this as an opportunity to get Harris going because they're probably not going to be able to beat Alabama or Ole Miss with just running the ball 80% of the time. So um, it's definitely something to watch for and, you know, maybe if he does try to lean on Harris too much and he's not up for it, it, it turns into an, uh, an issue for them. But um, like you said, I think if, if uh, as LSU fans told you, if Fournette is forced to run that much, maybe it does say good things because it means they haven't put the game away. Because last week he only played three quarters. He didn't get a, a touch in the fourth, and he only ran the ball 19 times, which isn't that much considering how much he did with those touches. So, um, and, and even listening to uh, Spencer Hall and Ryan Annie and them, um, actually probably the most complimentary they've been about Syracuse in their podcast. They expect it to be a, a closer game because, you know, they know LSU pretty well. And it's not a team that, you know, really blows people out unless Fournette's running for 70-yard touchdowns. So, you know, maybe we're overthinking things a bit um, based on the talent differential because the style of play, if it was a team with, with fewer ridiculous playmakers, it would play into Syracuse's strengths pretty well. Um but I still think the team would need to play like at the A plus greatest game possible for them to, to really make a, a real push at beating LSU this week. Yeah. You know, you brought up a good point there though. Uh, the less miles factor. And while less miles is one of the best coaches in college football, um, 
He's obviously done a ton at LSU. Um, well, you know, Saban kind of got them kickstarted back into a renaissance. Um, he's really maintained and kind of kept them at an elite level. Um, what what could be underrated, and I know, uh, you know, the guys over at Every Day Should Be Saturday talk about this a bunch, the, uh, you know, the kind of the Mad Hatter game, when the Mad Hatter goes from, you know, that wacky thing that only he could, could possibly dream up that works to the wacky thing that he cooks up that, that almost shoots the team in the face or does uh, shoot the team in the face. It happens uh, typically against, you know, SEC teams. Um, but every so often, I'd say probably every other year, LSU can sometimes walk into an inexplicable loss. Um, I don't think Syracuse is that loss this year, but if maybe he overth- overthinks things, like you said, um, and tries a little too hard on um, – just, you know, instead of just leaning on Fournette um, and allowing, you know, the run game to guide things, if he decides to maybe try out a few more things that that he wasn't able to against Mississippi State or LSU that he might have um, in the first game against McNeese State that was canceled, um, you know, maybe we see a little bit closer of a matchup um, than we thought. But, you know, that's kind of playing games with probabilities more than anything. Um I'm glad you brought up the the Bill Connolly uh, stats page because I think it's awesome um, to see, you know, all this. I mean, you and I talk about it a bunch. Like, oh, it'd be great to have access to all this stuff every week. Um, obviously, like Bill does a great job breaking down certain games every week, um, and you know, covers more teams than others, and rightfully so. I mean, there's almost 130 teams in college football. Um, it's kind of difficult to to keep track of all of them all at once, especially when they're not a national storyline. But this gives us about as close as we can get to that, um, a nice glimpse into, you know, what every team, SU included, um, is doing up until this point. Um, so it's interesting to see, you know, right off the bat, obviously we're 3-0. Um, last year we only had, I believe, I believe it was maybe two performances above, like, 60th percentile um, on the season. And, and for those who aren't on the page or aren't familiar... Uh, that percentile performance is kind of like the capacity of what you could possibly do against this opponent. Um, and we had a 74% against Rhode Island, a 58 against Wake Forest, and a 69 against Central Michigan. Um, those numbers might not sound high, but you know what? Compared to last year, um, this is already far and away better um, than what we saw. Yeah, I'm actually interested that the, uh, I'm looking at the same page now, the Central Michigan win expectancy was 88%, which seems super high considering how much they outgained us by. Yeah, you know, I, I think that the win expectancy might be um, the evaluation going into the game, if I had to guess. Because um, I believe that's about where I remember it hanging around when uh, when Bill posted his kind of F-plus predictions um, going in. So win expectancy around 88, I'm sure that as that game went on and once Dungey was knocked out too, that win expectancy uh, took a nosedive. The fact that we still performed at 69%, you even see the adjusted scoring margin, um, 11 points. Um, part of that's going to factor in, you know, if Dungey had played a full game, that's really what um, that margin would look like. As you would have been able to put Central Michigan away in a much, much, much uh, quicker clip, um, as we'll all attest to um, with Dungey under center. Yeah, sorry, it would not let me unmute un- un- there. <laughs> um, I was, like, pressing it, just wouldn't do it. Um, yeah, no, I agree, and that, that would make more sense. Um, overall, I, I think there's a lot of 
a lot of these numbers really kind of inform what we've been saying. Um, we've talked about explosiveness, uh, explosiveness a lot. Um, we're actually ranked 13th on offense uh, in explosiveness. Um, our ISO PPP is 1.45, which probably doesn't mean a lot to people, but basically that's the uh, expected points per play. Um, and that's a really high number, especially for, uh, I venture to guess this team was in the hundreds last year in the same category. Um, oh, I'm sure. If, if, if not the hundreds, like the high 90s. There's no way they were higher than that. And on defense, um, and I still don't love the defensive uh, the, the defensive strategy here, uh, the super bend don't break. But in terms of explosiveness, it is working. They are 24th in defensive, uh, in, uh, in the defensive side of the same stat. Uh, they're not averaging, um, they're not allowing a huge uh, number of bid plays, which I guess is the saving grace, because if they did, this team would be giving up 40 points a game. Um, but the other thing that stands out is our, our hero, Riley Dixon, is pretty much just as good as we kind of joke around about him being. He's putting in a, I mean, I don't know too much about advanced punting statistics, but by the looks of the ones that are given here, um, his numbers are absurd. He's, he's gotta be in the Ray guy list. He's, he's punted 14 times, averaging 44 points. It's a punt. Uh, and he's pinned teams inside the 29 times out of 14. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, looking at this um, and not knowing the, again, just like you, not knowing the full kind of range of of, of these percentages um, for punting in particular, I mean, he's basically performing at the 114th percentile, um, which is, again, just monstrous. Um, looking around, I won't, and we know we won't sit around talking through advanced stats the entire time. Um, some other things while you're talking about the defense, and I'll switch over to the offense. Um, you're looking at a, a havoc rate of... Uh, 9.9% for the defensive line shouldn't shock anyone. Uh, and that's ninth in the entire country. Uh, 51st in the country for linebackers. Um, and 71st in the country for DBs. Again, none of those things should shock you. Um, and then the overall Havoc, uh, 13th. I believe, Dan, was it you that took a look at, at, at Havoc rate um, over the course of last season? Uh, yeah, I've done it the last couple of years when, when they started making it, I think, for for those who are not aware, Havoc uh, takes in, it's basically the percentage of your defensive snaps that result in a sack, a tackle for loss, a pass breakup, or an interception. I think those are, I think that's all of them, or a fumble. Um, so basically, anytime the defense base makes a big play, for lack of a better word, um, it's that percentage of, of plays. And Syracuse's under Schaefer has been a really strong Havoc team up through, I think there was one year where it dipped maybe 2011. Um, but Sounds that's right. been a calling card for the Schaefer defenses and the bullet defenses. And um, I think overall this team has uh, a couple issues. Secondary we all know about. They, they have picked off a lot of passes, but they're giving up a lot too. Um, but the defensive line has been great. And Thompson was an absolute monster last week. Um, Luke Arseniega has been really good. Uh, I did not know how that transition to defensive end would be, and I I thought maybe he'd be an interesting spot player uh, here and there. But, man, he's been fantastic as a, as a pass rusher. I think he had a sack or two last week. Thompson had two. Um, so that combo's been really good, and, and the, the guys in the middle who we've been worried about because they're so young have pretty much held their own. So I think the defensive line, once again, Tim Davs came through this year and is putting together a really nice unit. Yeah, 
And you know what? I mean, and, and that avoids the secondary, which we'll get to. Um, n- not even in advanced stats. I just think we need to talk about the problems there. But um, one last thing on the advanced stuff: uh, the situational statistics. I think bear out exactly what we're seeing. Um, you know, in the uh, in the play calling breakdowns, both on offense and defense, it seems like the team struggles in the first, um, has some issues in the fourth as well. Um, but by and large. Um, the second quarter is huge on both sides of the football, and that's where we've kind of, you know, gained some separation, um, both against Rhode Island and Central Michigan, um, and then against Wake Forest, we gained that separation in the third quarter um, into the fourth. But, you know, you look at overall, you know, 10th best offense, um, according to the S&P Plus, um, in the first quarter, 41st in the second. Uh, Spiral is kind of down to to 92nd in the third quarter, and, and I think that's because we've run less than 10 combined plays in the in the third quarter over the last two weeks. Um, so that kind of contributes to that. Um, and then 86th in, in the fourth, that's largely because, you know, in, in game one, we were killing off clock. Um, in game two, once we, uh, once we put Wake Forest away, we were, you know, killing off clock, and Wake Forest actually had the ball a couple times. Um, and then this past game, we literally just ran 10 plays maybe while having a pretty miserable attack. So uh, those numbers kind of bear out um, what we've been talking about. In particular, too, I'll I'll mention before I'll toss it back to you, Dan, uh, the first down um, effectiveness. You know, we're looking at uh, 28-ranked offense on on first down, uh, which, again, if you look at um, in the play-calling breakdowns that I've been doing, uh, halfway through last year started kind of grabbing, you know, here are first down plays that result in plays that are five yards or more, that are 10 yards or more, that are 15 yards or more. Um, we're seeing an increase in that this year, and it's reflective in you know our, our productivity um, in terms of you know yardage gained on first down. I think that, that when we gain a lot on first down, it seems, and this goes for anyone, seems to set us up for some pretty quality drives. Yeah, I mean, it's there. This, when, I, when this page came out, it really did make me feel... Um, a lot better about this offense overall. I, I don't think we've had a, a chance to really see what a, a normal game for this offense looks like because the three uh, games have had come with such weird circumstance. I, I guess the closest would be Wake Forest, but even then, um, like you said, in the third quarter, we barely had the ball because we scored real quick, and then Wake had these methodical drives, and it, it was just a bizarre confluence of events. So we haven't even been able to run like a, a standard amount of plays and actually get the pace uh, exactly where we want it um, because we've either like blown teams out off, you know, mercilessly like Rhode Island or the wake game was kind of strange in terms of the back and forth um, if we had the ball and, and how quickly scoring happened. And then Central Michigan was just a whole, it was as soon as, as Dungey went out, aside from a decent drive from Wilson, it was, everything was out the window. So, um, but even then these stats, do make me a, a little more um, excited about what this team can do, especially Dungy's throwing stats are phenomenal. I mean, his completion percentage isn't that high. It's 58%, but um, his stats are pretty average. He's just getting big chunks of yardage, and he's you know seems to be pretty safe for the ball. Even though the couple of throws he's had that have been close to being picked off haven't been like dropped interceptions. They were like risky passes that worked out. Um, so... Hopefully after LSU and after um, the bye next week, we can kind of get into a rhythm of where we're playing pretty similar opponents, uh, you know, teams that are close to us in ability. Uh, South Florida is not really that, hopefully. But 
we really see what an what this offense looks like on a, on a week in week out basis because we haven't really gotten that game yet, which is not really our fault. It's just the games have been kind of weird. Too true. Um, I guess that'll lead us to halftime. Uh, so Dan, what have you been what have you been drinking since we last spoke? Um, I'm just pulling up my list now. I know uh, someone brought to our apartment here in New York. Uh, a Lion and Krugel uh, variety pack, and Lion and Krugel is a really strange brewery for one that's a that you can get a lot of places. Because I think you know, I know you're not a big Shandy fan. I think just the regular Shandy for what it is is fine. Um, and then they have some things that are really good, and then there are some things they make that are just gross. Um, they have like an orange wheat beer, which is bad. They have uh, this ginger. This it's supposed. It says called a ginger shandy. It just tastes like ginger ale and some like crappy beer aftertaste. So that, that's just a bizarre thing overall. I'm not quite sure what they're going for with some of those. Um, otherwise, uh, I had some Trogues uh, Hopback Amber Ale. Um, I like a lot of their beers. This wasn't my favorite, but really solid standard uh, amber. Um, I had uh, Lost Tribes Brew's uh, Weiss Dye, which was actually really good. Um, uh, Hefeweizen, and a few, you know, didn't get the pun there. Um, and then I had Sierra Nevada's Oktoberfest, which uh, apparently they just started releasing this year. They've had it at their, their brewery, but um, I think this is the first year they're distributing, maybe the second year. Um, seems like kind of a, an interesting choice for... For Sierra Nevada, it's not like a lot of their other beers, um, but it's pretty good. It's strong Oktoberfest, I'd say, uh, which of which I think everyone has one now at this point. So, uh, but it's it's a really solid one. So, have been enjoying getting into some of those fall beers. Looking forward to get over to uh, Fagan's on Friday. Um, maybe check out uh, Empire, which I haven't been to in years. Um, really excited to get up to Syracuse and, and get some of the some of the CNY beers. Um, and if you are in Syracuse for the game this weekend. Feel free to DM me or tweet at me, and if we're in the same areas, let's uh, let's talk some some SU football. Yeah, I will not be at the game, obviously, but um, SU related, I will be hanging out with my college roommate, um, who happened to be out here for a conference. So we'll be watching. We were hoping we were watching Eric Dungey light it up at nine a.m. Pacific time, but instead, not the case. Uh, so we won't be drinking either during the game, but. Maybe by the end. Um, some stuff I've been drinking. Uh, I think I might have mentioned this one as, a, as something I picked up from there. Uh, the brewery put out this uh, kind of strong ale called uh, La Derricola. It's basically just a kind of Coke slash Pepsi inspired beer. Um, it was a really interesting drink. It was hanging around like 7.7 to 8% alcohol, but didn't at all drink. like It didn't drink like a typical kind of strong ale either. It was... Uh, was much lighter. It really kind of drank like, um, like a traditional soda, uh, which was really odd, um, but enjoyable. I mean, it wasn't, you know, I wouldn't really like search out for it. Um, once you had it once, but nothing wrong with, uh, with giving it a try. Um, just, you know, again, that, that single time, uh, my wife was in Greece because she brought back a crazy donkey, uh, IPA from Santorini brewing. Uh, that was actually pretty good. Um, it was an American IPA um, that they brewed over there. Um, I think it's one of the only IPAs they have over there. And yeah, I thought it was thought it was pretty decent for what it was. Um, drank a Twenty Fourth Street Pale Ale from Strand Brewing. 
uh, just a local brewery around here that usually pops up at any random sports bar. I know I was watching SU um, at the beginning of, of last Saturday. I spent most of my uh, evening kind of hanging around um, some of the local spots um, while taking in, you know, Ole Miss, Alabama, and USC um, versus Stanford and UCLA, BYU. Uh, it's rare that UCLA and USC are on at the same time, so it was fun to uh, to kind of see which bars had which allegiances and really kind of bouncing um, in and out. Um, also had a grapefruit sculpin because why the hell not? Um, uh, Pesh Mortel uh, from uh, Brasserie du Seal. Uh, it's from up in uh, Quebec. It's a it's a really good kind of uh, coffee porter. And then um, Imperial Orchata from the brewery. I know I mentioned when I had the original one. Um, had that Orchata. They have an Imperial version of it that's a little bit stronger. Um, actually, I think. A little bit heavier on the uh, on the horchata flavors um, was good. Maybe didn't need it as late in the night as I had it, but uh, yeah, it was was an interesting drink. I um, another, I guess you know the brewery's kind of typical adventurous style. Definitely one to uh, to give a look if you're not going to pay too much for for it to acquire it, or if you happen to see it on tap. I've had a couple different horchata beers, and they're um, they're definitely interesting. Yeah, because you know what, it's a, it's an odd balance. Um, you know, it's not the type of thing that that easily works with most beers. I mean, one of the basis of horchata is milk. Not really like a, a standard. Oh, this goes with beer, especially if it's not a, uh, you know, a stout. Uh, this managed to be, you know, not. It was definitely sweet, but I wouldn't say it was. It was too sweet. It overall, like I said, it. it it was enjoyable, and you know what? Like I, I'd, I'd recommend if you see it, why not give it a taste? Yeah, unfortunately, we don't get very much from them out here, but uh, we'll definitely keep an eye out in case. I have stumbled upon some stuff from them from time to time, but it's not super uh, super available. Yeah, from what I understand, I don't know how much they get downstate, but I know upstate. Um, I've heard there's definitely shops that do get some of their stuff, not all of it necessarily. I mean, some of the stuff I get too is like through their beer society, but um, some of their just like more available stuff. Like you might be able to find a few hanging around at some good bottle shops upstate. Yeah, I'm gonna have to do uh, maybe make a Wedbrin. Well, probably make a Wedbrin's run, if only just out of uh, you know, out of the. Uh, Curiosity. Loyalty to Wegmans. <laughs> and curiosity, because you never know what you're going to find there. Too true. All right. Going back to football. Um, I know we kind of mentioned a little bit on the secondary. Dan, what is your biggest gripe with the secondary? There are so many things that we could say about just... Ugh. Uh, let me count the ways. Um, they're bad at tackling. Uh, they give these ridiculous 10-yard cushions, but then also don't cover people past 10 yards either. Uh, the last two quarterbacks that we faced uh, who are maybe pretty decent but not great FBS quarterbacks, I'd say both Walford and Cooper Rush are probably in like the 50 to 70 range in terms of where you'd rank quarterbacks in FBS. Maybe that's a little low, but who knows? They're not, they're not you know, Cody Kessler. Um, they've both torched us for 
an average of about 400 yards and completed 70% of their passes each. Um, they do pick off passes, which has been an issue for Syracuse secondaries in the past, but that's about all that they do that's positive. Um, and I just don't get why we're insistent on only playing this 10-yard cushion or these zone blitz schemes and not mixing in more uh, bump and run, man. Just even to throw a off for a play. I know Wynn's very physical, and, and Wiggum just has all sorts of issues, but you know Morgan's a bit more physical. Just you know, give him a different look once in a while because they're, they're playing the same exact soft coverage every single play, and it's worked to the point that we've beaten three straight pretty bad teams that we should beat, but like it's not going to fly against just about anyone else on the schedule. Yeah, and you know what? I, I think that uh, that Brian over at the site, he uh, he started hitting on some of this in the uh, the defensive play calling breakdown. Uh, you know, the team bites a lot on play action. The team just doesn't seem to cover. You know, like you said, that ten yard cushion kills. Um, it's not even like it's a product of zone. It's a product of uh, of just the style of zone. Um, you know. Zone defenses in football, and again, ironic now we're talking about zone defense. <laughs> zone defense in football um, can stop people um, and can provide great coverage. It's going to have its weaknesses, but you know what? Uh, man-to-man also has its weaknesses um, depending on you know the athletes you have there and, and just you know what their directives are once the ball is in the air. I mean, case in point, uh, that god-awful ender regulation play um, from Central Michigan, I mean, you had two receivers in the end zone. There were about five defenders around him, and not one of them even even left the ground until the ball was already, you know, in the receiver's hand. I mean, from what I could understand and, and saw both on the first watch and the replay is that um, these defensive backs either are too far away from the, the guy catching the ball or um, just have their backs completely to the football. Um, and to me, this is something that needs to be addressed, needs to be addressed ASAP. Um, I've said it. I don't think Fred Reed deserves a free pass here, um, but this also falls, falls a little bit on Bullo, if only because he's the defensive coordinator. At the end of the day, he can take control of any one of these elements that he decides to and, and needs to kind of re-instruct on how to help the defense overall. Yeah, it's definitely on both because the for the Wake Forest game, we were pretty we were part on Fred Reed, and we were thinking, you know, maybe this is just a bad performance. But then by end of Central Michigan, like it was very clear this was by design, and I get what the design is, but you can't just rely on getting a sack and forcing third and, and 14 every every drive that you want to kill. It's just, And that's literally what's happening right now. If we don't get a sack or a pick or a couple of tackles for loss on a drive, like the drive is going to last as long as the offense wants it to. Um, so I, I get trying to play for bid, uh, going for bid plays. It works for a lot of teams. That, that Auburn team a couple of years ago that went to the national championship, that was basically their defense. Like they would give up a lot of points, but occasionally they'd make a big stop um, and make a big play. Uh, we don't have that kind of talent. And like, you just can't, it's not sustainable to give up 400 yards through the air every game to middling quarterbacks. And I know there's not a ton of top quarterbacks in the ACC that we're going to see, but they're better than, and, and the overall offenses are better than what Wake Forest and Central Michigan has. So I get I get them wanting to to force pressure and trying to make mid plays and maybe not 
wanting to beat over the top often, which has been an issue for Syracuse teams in the past, where they, they have gotten beat over the top with some frequency. And generally, they've done an okay job of that, although the Central Michigan touchdown at the end was, you know, it, maybe it's not technically over the top, but they, they got beat deep for uh, what could have been a disastrous game causing, uh, you know, it could have caused the loss. Um, but it's just, they're just so, so dedicated to this one exact thing. And uh, it's it's so dependent on getting a sack that with against some better offensive lines, it's going to be an issue. Yeah, I mean, do you think that this is kind of a product of the emphasis on, you know, big hits? And, you know, we, we kind of joke here and there about big hit awards and all this other crap. Um, but at the end of the day, do you think this emphasis on big hits is really hurting um, this team's ability to just provide sound coverage? I mean, obviously these kids have played, um, you know, defensive back before. Um, Wiggum wasn't always like this, um, literally just getting roasted. Um, it seems like, you know, I mean, he won't challenge anybody at the line, but then he also, um, you know, won't really challenge the ball in the air except occasionally. Um, you brought up a good point, though. There's for, for a team that seems really dead set on these ten yard cushions, like they aren't giving up the deep ball. They only did, I think, twice all year. That one uh, KJ Brent completion in the Wake Forest game, um, and then obviously the the CMU pass toward the end. But the problem is they're still letting up large completions um, because of yards after the catch. I don't have the yards after catch. Uh, info for opponents in front of me but i would assume um through three games that were pretty high up there yeah and that's that's where the tackling's been really bad um wiggum and then winfield winfield's been a better cover guy than wiggum but winfield just can't and i know he just moved he changed positions fairly recently but he's just not a good tackler and speaking about lsu like if leonard fournette gets into the secondary i do not know that syracuse can bring him down like I, I, I don't know what who in that secondary is going to run him down and take him down from behind and prevent a touchdown. So um, I don't know the big hit thing. I think there might be a little bit of over reliance on uh, on separating the receiver from the ball rather than getting to the ball before the receiver. Um, I don't, you know, I haven't been in the, in the the meetings. I don't know if that's actually what they're trying to do, but um, it definitely seems like it's shifted too far in that one direction. And I'm just terrified that it's going to burn us uh, soon. Um, luckily, I mean, none of the ACC teams have looked overly impressive out of the, out of the ones that we've seen. Um, but, like I said, they're going to be better than what we've seen so far and better than probably what LSU's passing game looks like. So, you know, I do, really don't want to see Jacoby Brissett completing 90% of his passes against us. And that's not off the table. I would agree. Um, here's an interesting stat. Uh, while Syracuse is near the top um, in interceptions with five um, on the season, we are one of the worst in the country when it comes to um, passes broken up with six. So if that's any indication of the kind of uh, coverage we're utilizing, um, yeah, I think that's the problem, <laughs> is that... Um, if we're not picking it off, it's usually resulting in a play. Um, and again, I can't find, I don't think we have yards after catch um, stats hanging around, at least nationally, that I've been able to find. Um, but shifting gears a little bit, I know we're kind of stats heavy on this post, but um, it's, I think we've resigned ourselves to 
the fact that we're probably not going to win this game, um, but that doesn't mean that there's not positives to take out of it, so I don't want anyone to, to use that, um, you know, as a... Uh, is kind of a launching point for us just not, you know, being positive about the team. Um, a positive so far, uh, red zone conversions. We are 100% um, on red zone conversions this year, which is shocking. Um, that said, touchdown percentage, um, only 50%. So while that nice 100%, you know, it's, it's great to see, it's awesome to see, we are tied for 93rd in terms of touchdown percentage, we have five touchdowns and ten attempts. Uh, again, tied for ninety third um, in the country. So it's progress, but we we have you know what we we can continue to grow and and I think you started to see it with Dungey. I mean how he kind of fought his way into the end zone there. There was the other other touchdown he was robbed of um, the previous week in the red zone. Um, this is a team that that knows how to uh, move the ball on the ground um, within the ten, but. Uh, you're still seeing some some stuff bogged down. What I would love to talk about, to be honest, is finally Jamal Custis gets used once, but but where he's used is a key touchdown. Um, and Dan, why why isn't Custis thrown in like this um, on pretty much every single um, you know red zone opportunity based on that catch at least? Uh, hopefully that catch leads into today more. I mean, that's, that was literally his first target of the year. Um, I think part of the issue is that, uh, we haven't had a ton of red zone opportunities because I think, I don't know what percentage of the, of our touchdowns, I'd bet it's probably more than half of our total touchdowns have come, um, outside of the red zone. Uh, so there isn't a ton of, of opportunities to go by. And it is good that we are at least converting field goals and, and it's nice to have a pretty reliable kicker in Cole Murphy. Um, but I think, uh, Lester, I believe, this week said that one of the reasons that Custis isn't playing much is because he's still um, not developed as a route runner, uh, and that makes sense. But you don't really need to run super great routes when you are running seven yards to the back corner of the end zone and looking for a for a fade. So um, assuming that Dungey can throw them as well as Wilson did that one fade, I, I mean, it's not my favorite play in the world, but I have no issue taking like a shot and uh, you know, any time that we're within the fives and we have a mismatch where you have Preston throwing up against some, you know, five ten cornerback, uh, I would love to see more of that. That's the thing too. Like Custis is such a big, imposing guy. He's six five. Like, what isn't a mismatch for him? Uh, especially there, you're looking at single coverage. I mean, uh, a defender who had was holding him had his back to the, the ball. To be honest, it could have been called interference, um, but. For Custis to be able to make a play like that, I mean, he's not going to catch it one-handed every single time, but he's a weapon, and, uh, you know, we were talking about it actually in our uh, internal Slack page um, before the game of why why aren't we using him more in the back of the end zone, and, you know, there you have it. Um, I think we're going to see a little bit more from the tight ends. Um, hopefully, and again, Custis isn't a tight end right now, but you might see him switch back um, if we're going to start utilizing him a little bit more in that capacity. Um well, we can close out with uh, with Mahoney. Um, Zach Mahoney, our walk-on sophomore, he is under center. Um, Dan, what, what can Mahoney do well? Um, it's hard to say. I mean, we have a very limited sample for, for his plays. It, it seems like he's a, a solid decision-maker on the option. Probably leans 
a little to the conservative side, which is fine, especially for what we're using him for. Um, and he, he seems to just throw an, a nice tight spiral. Probably doesn't have a huge arm. I don't think we'll be throwing a lot downfield. But I think um, he's just probably going to be less turnover prone than Wilson. He gives you more of an advantage to run some of the option plays and some of the more um, athletic, uh, athleticism-based plays that we see out of Dungey. Um, and I guess that's probably where the, the, the lesser drop-off is. Where Wilson probably, probably is the biggest arm on the team, I would guess, um, in terms of just ability to throw downfield. But he's not as accurate, and he, you just can't run ha- you know, the, the, the bootlegs. The, uh, just, you can't put the quarterback in motion with Wilson for disaster. He, he definitely doesn't throw the ball on the run like Dungey does, which is one of Dungey's best stills. So I think we're just there's more of the playbook and more of what the offense is designed to do available with Mahoney, even if you know maybe he doesn't do a couple things uh, as well as Wilson or doesn't have the arm that Wilson has. So um, hopefully he goes out and has a good game. I mean it it'd be pretty crazy if he you know even comes close to upsetting LSU. Um, I think he'll get some attention, which is which is good for him. I, he, I don't think any of us expected to see Zach Mahoney this year, but uh, here we are. So I know everyone's pulling for him. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely pulling for him. Uh, I'm just curious to see if we actually see much outside of uh, outside of option. I feel like that's the only way this is going to work is if we see a ton of option. Um, again, obviously it was working in overtime. Obviously it was working for Dungey through most of the first half. That's really kind of when things started getting cooking. Was when we just. Um, really really just dedicated to it it seemed that you know Dungey was kind of orchestrating on the fly Mahoney's not going to be that cerebral um he doesn't have the same speed that Dungey does but um I'd definitely like to see um I'd like to see us do a lot with the option just for the sake of keeping the offense consistent and just you know giving these running backs who know they're not all world talents but I think Fredericks in particular just thrives um, on consistency, and I think just giving him those like you know eight to ten carries at least um, would be awesome. Um, where I'm worried though is the wide receivers. I know you said they're not going to throw downfield. Um, I don't really want to see screens either. So I guess um, you know the, the passing game really becomes a little uh, to be determined, um, which sounds unsettling, especially against an LSU defense that should be able to get after us, um, both the pass rush and the secondary, but. Um, I think you're probably going to see uh, the sharpest skew toward run in this game than you are in any other game. Uh, LSU's defensive backfield is really, really good. Um, so this is probably isn't the team that we wanted to test downfield much at anyway. So I expect it's just going to be a lot of crossing routes, a lot of uh, just short intermediate passes. I don't even know if we had Dungeon in there, if we'd be taking big shots 20, 30 yards down the field. Does LSU... They have cornerbacks that will go and get the ball. And um, I, I think the coaches, knowing this coaching staff as well as I do, I think they would be uh, very um, – they're going to try to avoid making big mistakes like that. I, I, I think this coaching staff is going to try to limit all possibility of turnovers and mistakes and just see if they can, can keep this one as manageable as possible. So I, I wouldn't have even expected much down the field if Dungey was in there. Fair point. And yeah, you know what? I mean, it's not a bad strategy. Usually I'd pan that one. I know I kind of did last year after the Clemson game um, where the plan not to lose just kind of kicked us in the ass toward the end. But this time, um, 
with I think even less of a shot to win than last year's Clemson game. I think that there's, um, I think playing not to lose is the, it's the only way that we could even potentially sniff a win. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, would have been looking forward to it more, but these things happen. And again, hopefully, uh, Dungy with several weeks rest is uh, is ready to go after the bye week. Um, Dan, any predictions? Um, obviously, you're not really favoring Syracuse here, but any predictions as far as score? Anything out of the ordinary that you think we're going to see on Saturday? Um, give me LSU 31-7. to 31-7, all right. I got, uh, I got 34-10. to 10. I, think we get a, I think we get a garbage time field goal. Did Cole Murphy. Did pile those uh pile those Droza award stats up. Yeah. You know what? Cole I mean, we don't have to talk about him much here, but I mean Cole's an underrated part of the team and I, I think his reliability for the most part. Um it's definitely a, a game change for the team. Um obviously we haven't really gotten into a game where where this is just like this mission critical part of it, but you know, down the road you never know. Cole might be called upon to uh to win us one. I trust him. I think he's a pretty good kicker, and I think uh, it's nice that he and Dixon are allowing us to redshirt uh, Sterling Hoffrichter. Yeah, redshirt kicker. He's going to be so good in four years, five years. <laughs> yeah, you know, we talked about it in the offseason. Redshirt and the Hoff is the way to go. Uh, there's no downside. Zero. I mean, well, unless he transfers. But you know what? I, I don't see that happening. No. Hopefully he got a, a, an Adrian Long Syracuse tattoo and he's locked up for life. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, um, I think we're good. Uh, Dan, as always, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us and uh, chatting through some SU stuff for the evening. Yes. If you're up in Cuse, like I said, come find me. We'll... Uh... We'll drink away the pain of watching Fournette run for 250 yards together. I'll probably be at Fagan's, maybe lying up the ground after the game. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, go find Dan. Um, I'll be watching from the cozy confines of California. And uh, go Orange. Go Orange. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a -a once-a-year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.